imagine you're chasing something your entire life that you think is outside of yourself and you wake up one day and realize you simply had it within. It wasn't in money, marriage, accomplishments, or having babies. The fulfillment is reserved for those that are dangerous enough to find home within themselves. That is my goal here for you. I want you to redefine what rich looks like for you. I'm Jessica Hurley. Welcome to Rich in Real Life. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Rich in Real Life. You guys know I am on a mission to talk less about the outcome and the money, but the journey to get there. And so I had to bring today's incredible guest. She is the founder of EJT Education Group, which houses EJT Consulting and Six Figure Educator. She is a woman on a mission to help Black women grow their education consulting businesses to six and seven figures. And she is someone I've been blessed to have the opportunity to work with through her upcoming podcast, Seven Figure Educator. And I am so excited to introduce you guys because her spirit, her personality, her mission, her values, and the conversations that we have had around the journey to build a seven-figure business has been something that I knew we had to put on this podcast. So I am so excited to introduce you guys to Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas. Hey. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, of course. And listen, um, I don't know how many times, if you're new here, if you've heard this, I want to go back, but I came from a nonprofit background in strategic partnerships for a nonprofit that was all about education um, for young adults. A lot of like Department of Labor, Department of Justice stuff. And I know that these teachers and our educators got paid next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so when I met you, I was like, oh my God, what you are doing is so important, but I have to start with this. And we, we're we going to talk about leadership and all these good things. But what was the thing that you got your doctorate? You were obviously on a mission to be impactful, to be in these schools. Cause I know that I had that mission once upon a time and there's a reason I'm not there anymore as well. Mm-hmm. What was the thing that you are, you have this doctorate, you are a principal at a large school, you have this leadership role, this for so many looks like significant impact, and I'm certain it was, but what was the thing that was like, I could do something else with this skill set? It's time. Ooh, oh, that's such a great question. Um, so as you mentioned, I my background is in education, mm-hmm. so I'm a former teacher, former principal, and being a principal was the the role where I was like, this was made for me. Mm. Like I absolutely love being a principal. And what I now know is that when God is trying to move you to the next thing, that he will often create some type of disruption. And so for me, it ain't I'm even been five minutes and we already <laughs> preaching. Go listen, ahead. Listen, <laughs> you asked and I'm like, well, if you really want to know something I didn't choose happened. Yep. Invitation um, to move. So, so I was a principal. I absolutely loved doing it. And literally it was a Friday in May. So it's the end of the school year. I get a text from my boss that someone from the district office was coming to my school to meet me at lunchtime. They showed up and told me that. The next week, they're putting a proposal forward towards the school board to add 400 kids to my school the next year. And I was like, wait a minute. <clears throat> I was like, excuse me? 
And they were like, yeah, we're, we're redoing, you know, zoning. they call it stu- zoning, student yeah. assignment. Um, and so we're, we're basically moving kids around. That's not the language they use. But that's, basically, that's what's happening. Correct. And they were going to be moving kids to my school. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, we just went under renovation. We took away mobile classrooms. We're going to have to bring back mobile classrooms. We are... a, a high concentration of poverty Mm -hmm. at my school, which means we need additional resources when it comes to academic, social, emotional. We had over a thousand kids. We only had one social worker. (sighs) We had one counselor for every 300 kids, but we're not going to get any more counselors, social worker, all these things. And I'm just like, this is something that feels like it's being done to us. Not to mention I was the lowest paid principal in my zone, but I Mm. wasn't the least performing. My pay wasn't going to increase. And so it's like all these new things are, are getting ready to be put on my plate. Could I do it? Yeah. Do I want to do it? No. <laughs> do I have to do it? No. And so that was like the leading domino that that started this whole process of me even starting my business. Because as I mentioned, this was a role that I loved to where I hadn't even for the first time in my life, I hadn't thought about what the next thing would be. Right. So first I had to grieve that like something that I loved, I I was going to have to leave because I didn't feel like I could stay with something that I didn't agree with. So that's when I started my business. And so I started my consulting business to help me figure out what would be the next thing. And I was like, best case scenario, this will help me figure out the next thing. At the same time, I applied to my doctoral program. I only applied to one program. The program happened to be at Harvard. <laughs> so I had to deal with all that stuff too. Right. And, you know, worst case scenario, I was like, this will help me figure out, help me sustain financially until the next thing. Correct. So that was that entire disruption yeah. out of that, that, disequilibrium that I felt of loving something, having to leave something that I love, feeling like I'm not making this choice, someone is making this choice for me, is what started my business. Okay. Before we get into this, you know, Harvard, consulting business, making money move, learning that we can make money move faster, because that's really what entrepreneurship is, is you're like, oh, I can make this money move faster. Right. But I want to go back to this part because I think there's a lot of people listening that might be in this space where you you experience the disruption and it's so hard to have discernment around the disruption. So, you know, there's things that call us to grow and there's things that call us to move. And it's like sometimes, a lot of times, and I've been there, we don't, we're not clear on which one it is. Right. Because I'm like, is this hard because I'm significant? I need to be stretched for something down the line. Or is this hard and it feels like it's being done onto me and I don't want it because I want to go back to what you said. I loved my job. Mm-hmm. And so when you are doing something that you fought so hard to do and then it becomes uncomfortable, we st- we tend to think it's like the equivalent of working out. We think that this is the discomfort that is supposed to come with the thing that we feel like we're called to do. Well, I'm finally here and it's not going to be perfect and something or some, some of it is going to be discomforting or uncomfortable. I'm just being stretched. And I think there has been so many times for me where I have been wildly confused. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, God, what we what are we saying mm-hmm. here? What do you want from me? Mm-hmm. And what space do you want me to show up? So I guess my question to you is, and you kind of outlined it, but what was the thing that made you realize like this isn't a stretching? This isn't a growth moment. This is a I don't want this. This is not where I want to mm. be. Mm. Yeah. So 
Oh, that's such a good question. So uh, there were a series of meetings that, <laughs> that happened. I'm done. <laughs> um, there was a series of meetings. So first off, I think the first thing that comes to mind is so this type of like redoing the boundary lines, moving students happens every six years within the district where I was. Ooh. So six years prior to that, I was at a school that they had made a decision to make it an elementary school to a pre-K-8. Oh my God. So if you can imagine all of the moving parts that happened with yes. that of an elementary school that now you're adding middle school students, we didn't have middle school bathrooms. We still had elementary stalls, middle school students. There's certain scheduling things. They require PE. They require right. health. We weren't, we didn't have the staff allotments to actually like deliver on the instruction that they needed. It was a mess. It was wow. a mess. So there was a little bit of like, oh, this is deja vu happening. Mm. So I had previously had this experience of when something was felt like it was done to me or to the community that I was leading and a part of. And now it feels like this is happening again. And I was not in the same place to feel like I had to just sit and accept it. So that was the first thing. The second thing was as I continue to have more conversations, I had a conversation with my boss. I had a conversation with the HR department because another part of this was that they were going to, they call it in education, displacing teachers. They were going to displace about 14 to 15 teachers to my building. So there were people, adults coming with the kids. <laughs> so <laughs> teachers I couldn't interview, oh, teachers I that I, I have to take them. Yes. And anybody who has ever led any type of people knows that that is a setup for, I, I cannot be as effective as I want to be if I don't get to choose my team. Yes. Right? Like yes. I just have to inherit. If I don't get to choose, then you're already setting me up to, to start five steps behind because I don't get to pick my team. Yes. Right? And I had a conversation with HR and I will never forget, actually the, the director of HR at the time used to work at my school years ago before I was there. And like before the meeting, he's like, yeah, y'all are doing great work. And I know how hard it is, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as the meeting started, his energy flipped and he was telling me no to everything. Where I'm like, can I at least interview the people? Can we at least have a, a, a conversation beforehand? And it's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, what I've learned in my experience is anytime something feels harder than what it should be, it's oppression at work. And so I'm like, this is oppression. This is, is all the isms at work and at play. And here I am trying to push. And I, I, it, was a, it was a realization for me as many of the great things that we were able to do in our school community. At the end of the day, I was still operating within a system. Mm -hmm. And so what led me to the decision of, okay, this is something. And I always go back to, can I do it? Yes. But do I want to do it? No. So it's like to see all these walls that I felt like I was hitting, it was like, why would I choose to stay? And even now that I am, you know, six years past that, that, that moment where I say I loved a job and I look back on it and I was like, and I was underpaid. Very. So can I love a job where I'm underpaid? So at the time I did, and now I look back on it and I'm like, I didn't understand my worth and my value enough because if I did, I actually wouldn't love a place where I was underpaid. So for me, love I think place having- where you're undervalued. How can, I, how can I love something that doesn't value me? 
Right. And so I loved it at the time. But again, like all these shifts, which I'm sure we're probably going to talk about, yes. <laughs> like I've made, like, caused me to see it very differently where I wouldn't go back to that today. So ultimately, it was the fact that thing, I don't believe what's meant for me is supposed to feel so overwhelmingly hard. And that's what it felt like. It felt hard. That, that doesn't mean there's going to be times in my life where everything's going to be easy. But when things feel overwhelmingly hard, that's why I believe what's meant for me, like the path illuminates and there's a level of ease to it. That doesn't mean I have all the answers. That doesn't mean I have everything that I need. But for me to consistently be told no by HR, for building services to not even know whether or not how many classrooms we, we need, like for me to be underpaid and to be the lowest paid principal and you're giving me 400 more kids, like to have all these things, all these forces working against me, this can't be where I'm supposed to be. So that's what led me to make the decision. I got the whole chills down the back of my neck when you said... I don't think that anything I want or desire is supposed to be this overwhelmingly hard. And it just made me think about how many times we get ourselves into those situations where we think, especially like, I'm going to go into this for a minute, especially as women, mm. that we have to perform past this point of no return, this pressure point to prove that we are strong enough to handle the expectations that people have for us because this was the thing that I wanted, mm -hmm. but it should not feel this overwhelmingly hard. And it is so incredibly turning and questioning and just riveting when you are sitting in something you thought you wanted, you are sitting in the vision and you are like, there's no way in high hell it was supposed to feel like this. Mm -hmm. It was not supposed to feel this overwhelming. It was not supposed to feel this crazy. And how you just said the, the path illuminates and it just literally, there is supposed to be a level of ease. I truly, I truly do believe that because I've experienced both. But I think acknowledging right now what you're mentioning for anyone listening is it is not supposed to be that hard. There will be moments, there will be seasons, there will be dips, but like, and, and the fact that you embraced that and said, this doesn't equal failure. This doesn't equal, I'm not looking at someone and saying, just because this is hard, I don't want to do it. It's saying, just because I can't do it, I don't have to. Right. Like, and I'm just bringing this up and I'll cut it here, is that like, I'm seeing so many women overworked and underpaid and undervalued and burned the hell out. And it is because of moments like this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting too close to momentum. I'm getting too close to the role I think I want. I'm getting too close to that level of leadership I was looking for. I'm getting too close to that, that marker or that dollar amount or that number in my business. So I have to keep going even when it pains me to the point of no return. And the fact that you walked away from that so gracefully to only create something better, which we're going to get into. I wish more people listening could acknowledge, at least have a conversation or listen to this conversation about it's not supposed to be that hard. And mm -hmm. if it is, seek seek internally if this is actually the thing you want, if this is the thing that God wants for you. Because it, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. So now you go on to create EJT Consulting or Education Group and your consulting portion as well as Six Figure Educator Live. Oh, Six Figure Educator and Six Figure Educator Live, which is an incredible in-person event. 
what was the moment when you created the consulting business? Cause I love when you and I talk about this because I, I, you, you started the consulting company and you went to Harvard, but I think, I don't think anyone steps out of that role and immediately, immediately is like, Oh, I'll just go consult and make more money. Like, I don't think that a lot of educators have that skill set, and they're like, Oh, well, I'll just go somewhere else. No. Cause if you, you would originally done that and not have been a teacher. Mm-hmm. So what was the moment that you were like, this is something I am embracing and it's what I want to teach everybody else. That like the moment that blew you away about the same skill set you had that you were undervalued and underpaid in could was transition. I don't know if that's a word transitionable could be <laughs> transitioned to something that was the same skill set for that people and companies valued on a whole nother level. Yeah. So there were two distinct moments. The first was my first contract. So my very first contract, I started my business in October of 2017, Mm -hmm. and I got my first contract in November of 2017, so the next month. And first off, I didn't have a website. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear, I need no website to get that contract. And the contract was $1,600 for a day of professional development. And at that time, I was a principal. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment, I went back, because this was when I was at a a really financial low to where I was literally tracking every penny in my bank account in a spreadsheet. And recently, I went back to look at that spreadsheet. And at that time, I had $3,300 in my bank account. And I got paid once a month. So I had $3,300 in my bank account. Like That was my starting balance after I got paid, and that was for the month. And here I am getting ready to get paid $1,600 for a day. $3,300 a month was your salary as a principal. Correct. Okay. I was in, at that time, North Carolina, which is where I was a principal, was ranked 50th out of 50 for principal pay. So I was already underpaid and now I'm like grossly underpaid. Right. right? And so what what that completely shifted my mindset for, and just to be clear, my prices were trash and- there's no other way to begin, to be right, honest. Right. There's like no that's, other that's, way to begin. <laughs> that's definitely how it starts. Uh, you just have trash prices. But like I, I still made the decision to go, right? And $1,600 a day for a day of professional development, which would typically take me a week to two weeks to make as a principal. And so I'm like, I can make this in a day? I do this four times a month. I'm making more what? than my salary. Wait a minute. I'm like in a day? And so that was the first moment for me when I realized that money could move faster. Because mm. what I thought it could move in a week or two weeks, I can make it move at that rate in a day. So that was like thing number one of like, oh, the game is over. <laughs> like it's over. the moment I learned that, I was like, oh, I wonder if I could make $1,600 in half a day. And what about $1,600 in an hour, Oof. right? And it's like, so it's like once you realize it can move faster, get, the game changes. And then the second moment was February of 2020. I was on a consulting engagement with one of my clients. They arranged us in teams as consultants. So they would send us out in teams of four. I showed up, met the other three people on my team. It was three white men. Mm. Two of them had never worked in schools. And I remember us having a conversation in the lobby of our hotel the evening before we were supposed to meet with the superintendent and cabinet of the school districts. And then this is one of the most diverse school districts in the country. And we're in the lobby and I'm like giving my suggestions and they're trying to tell me like what should or shouldn't happen or what is, or shouldn't be a recommendation. And I'm like, wait a minute, who worked in a school last year? Oh, me. 
out of this tackle. <laughs> I got it. So, so I was like, you know what? And this is not the first time in my life that this has happened where folks try and, and folks who have had no experience try and tell me who has experience and brings results to the table simply because I'm a black woman, you're not respecting my experience the same way in which you respect your lack of experience, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next day, actually the chief academic officer said the exact same recommendation I had said in the hotel lobby that everybody was trying to shut down. And you know what happens? Oh yeah, Erica said that last night. We were having that conversation, blah, blah, blah. And in that moment, I was like, I know so many people who could run circles around this team of consultants that I'm with and they deserve to be here. The only reason why they're not is they don't know how to start a business. And so mm. that's when I was like, I need to help them start a business. And that's what now is six figure educator. Um, but that's the origin story for that work. Mm, this is so good. I have so many questions. <laughs> so making money move faster. And you and I talk about this at length and we will talk about this, but you set out on a journey after that to not only help personal personal brands and businesses truly grow their consulting business, but you also set out on a mission to build the company in a way that you wish you had worked, like for the company you wish you had once worked for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have such, you take so much pride and equity in building a company that is um, ideal. And you have so so many ways in which you do that. Explain to me what it means to you to build an equitable company. Oh, so you're absolutely right. That is incredibly important to me mm -hmm. that I build an equitable company. And how I define that is I center the needs of black women. Mm -hmm. And I believe if I can build a company that's safe for black women, that it's actually best for everybody. Because when you think about all of the the identities that are the now in, intersecting and converting, that if I can build a company that centers the belongingness, the safety, the authenticity, the humanity of Black women, then I will build a company that's great for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that means, you know, what is that, what type of company culture do we need to have that centers the authenticity of all of our, our employees? Um, what does that look like when it comes to our PTO mm -hmm, policy, mm -hmm. right? And my belief is you don't need to ask me for approval because what role do I have in approving whether or not you should have time off? I don't believe that's my place to approve. Now, I do believe it's my place to ensure that our company is still moving forward and that our company is operating efficiently, even if somebody is not you know, present for the day or somebody's absent, like our company is still moving forward, which means that there's a certain way in which you give notice. Right. So you give notice in a timely manner. You make sure that whatever responsibilities you have, those are taken care of before you take your time off. That's my responsibility. It is not my responsibility to say yes or no, whether or not you should take time off. Um, so that's one of the many things that I think about is what does it mean in terms of, of how I operate as a CEO, which there was a lot of unlearning <laughs> that I had to do and unpack because when all my experience has come from an environment or a system that was not created for black women, Correct. then it means that my only frame of reference are systems and policies that don't center our needs. So I actually have to 
divorce myself from the ways of operating and working and beliefs that have made me successful in the system that I was used to navigating and actually take a step back and think about, okay, if I wanted to create around this, what would it look like? If I needed to design around these needs, what would it look like? This sounds to me what you and I have often talked about, which is like the catch 22 of leadership and like what you have to break to have the equitable company you're, you're mentioning based on a framework that you were taught that is the exact opposite. So what is the catch 22 for you? Mm. Ooh, <laughs> cause I've been thinking about this. It, like this is, I'm in the season of defining my catch 22s. Yes. <laughs> so that's why I'm like and they evolve. smiling and like, this is hitting for me is because I, it has become more clear to me than ever before that in order for us to continue to grow as a company, my strategy cannot be control. I cannot control everything in order to reach the next level that I have for our company. And so our next level is eight figures. I cannot control my way to eight figures. No. If anything, I have to give up control Correct. in order to get to eight figures. Correct. Because what it means is that I can know I cannot center the business around me. Ah! Right? Like, and and the past couple of weeks, and this is why I'm so incredibly grateful for my team, is because my team has to have the same level of ownership that I have in the company to where there's a level of initiative that I take because I'm the CEO, right? And there's 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 things that I got to lose. Yes. Because <laughs> right? I'm responsible for everybody's salary. Like I'm responsible for, you know, all of our clients. Like there's there's a certain level of self-accountability that I have on behalf of my team, on behalf of our clients. And every member of my team has to have the same level of self-accountability, even though it's really not their responsibility. Everybody's payroll isn't their responsibility, Correct. but they have to move like it, is. like it is, right? And I have such the most amazing team to where they do move in that way. And I've, I've feel grateful and blessed that I've been able to lean into this co-creation of the type of culture that we need, because that culture is the culture that is going to tell me the truth. Yes. Where they're going to tell me, Erica, you need to stop doing that. Erica, that is no longer your responsibility. Erica, we had agreed that you were no longer going to do this. However, you did it this week. So like, that's, I need that level of accountability to mind my own business and get out their way and yes. like, do my job and not do their job. Like that is the catch 22 that as I'm, I'm creating this culture that centers them, that means I also got to get out their way and allow them to do stuff and wait on the update and not be poking and prying in, in back end systems and sending emails. Can I get up? Girl, wait, we working. We trying to do what you asked us to do. And you keep asking us questions. Can you wait until, cause you said by Friday, right? It's Wednesday. And you asking us about something you said by Friday. If you said by Friday, we gonna get it to you by Girl, Friday. Girl, hold my damn hand. Hold my damn hand. Cause I feel like you yelling at me right now. So girl, we in this season of giving up control. That's the catch 22. That's the catch 22. Uh, okay. I have, shit, this is so good. So if you run a business and you're scaling from six to seven figures or seven to eight, this is like screaming to your soul right now. And I watched something the other day that was just talking about how like everybody's giving you these like, you know, these 
profound coaching methods. And they were like, to go from six to seven figures is literally one simple thing. They were like, you go from, you go from solopreneur to six figures when you find like-minded individuals that can do the job. Mm-hmm. You go from six figures to high seven or mid seven figures when all of your team is A plus players. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can trust people to literally do the work at times. Not, not only do the work, but literally like they're fully vested in the company. Mm-hmm. They take up space. They take up equity. They, they, they literally know what to do oftentimes without you saying it. And I have someone that runs my back end um, often. She's actually one of my best friends. She's a business partner and she runs several businesses on the back end. She always tells me, she's like, your stuff be stressing me out sometimes. So she's like, <laughs> but she's like, one thing is, is you have such a solid team. They're mm-hmm. so invested. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't lead. I didn't read a leadership book about that. I did not. I just really loved on my people hard. Mm-hmm. And I did the opposite of what they told me to do, which was like, don't share with your people how much you charge. Don't, don't overshare. Don't, you know, all the things like it was almost like control and keep your folks out mm-hmm. and just delegate and have them do the work. I talked too damn much and I did the opposite. I literally <laughs> told them everything every week. I was like, we're changing this. Here's why guys, here's my vision. Hey guys, next week we have this call with so-and-so and and I really want us to be able to up-level this, this, and this so that we can all show up in this way. Mm -hmm. I have a career path for each and every one of you. I am looking at all of you as team members now and managers later. Like I want to build the team underneath you guys and here's my vision, here's my vision. I swear every week I think I say, here's my vision and then we Mm -hmm. go into it and it's like, we're doing this together. And my system girl, it's my best friend, my she's always like, they ride. Like they are riding and I, team. and I think, and it, cause my project manager says the things you're saying, your team says all the time, like, uh, make sure you add in that contract your time, because we're not going to have you working 16 hours mm-hmm. overtime and not being paid for it. Oh, did you put your hourly rate in there? Because you're paying us and you're not paying you. Mm-hmm. Or she'll be like, oh, why is, she'll literally get on a call and be like, why are you on your 10th call with this person? Are they just not doing what you asked them to do? Cause I'll resend them an email instead of you jumping on a call. Cause I need you out. Mm-hmm. Like. But I feel like that's not, um, I see oftentimes and I feel like it's not teachable. Mm. Like or it, it is teachable, but it's not, um, it's not often the road or the path that's mentioned to success when it comes to successful leadership. And so my question to you is like, what are some of the ways that you have done that? Because it is so hard to ask of your team to be as invested as you are when it comes to the vision of the company mm-hmm. without selling them a dream of like, hey, you're going to get rich with, me. Mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that is the only way and path to success that so many people have like, you're like, oh, we're all going to get it. Like, but just for someone, team members to be fully vested in your vision, what do you think some of the things are you had to do to, to give your team that safety and that comfortability? Such a great question. So the first thing that comes to mind is how you hire. And (laughs) not at starting at the beginning, at the very (laughs) beginning. And I think, well, even the step before how you hire is being really clear on your values as a company. And once you're clear on those values, then you are building a hiring process that also centers those values. So one of my values is excellence, mm-hmm. right? And I also have a value of community. And I, I, I intentionally named both of those together because I think there's been a lot of ways that people will center excellence at the expense of humanity, at the expense of authenticity. Say that, say that again. Listen, 
Like both can coexist. I believe excellence and authenticity can coexist. I believe excellence and community can coexist, right? And so when I'm really clear on my values as a company and and even the way in which we write our values. So if you go to our website, getlaunchconsulting.com, there's a space where our, our values are written. And one of our values is we waive our receipts with no shame. Right? Like we don't Come we don't through. believe in this Come humility. <laughs> right. There's a space and place for humility. Cause best believe when I go visit my grandma, mom will be humble. Correct. Right. <laughs> However, in a professional sense, I don't have the privilege to be humble as a black woman. I have to tell people who I am, right? right? And so like that's one of our values. Another one of our values, rather than saying just the word authenticity, we say we don't believe in being two people during the day, right? Because being two people during the day is exhausting. So whomever you are at home, we welcome that person at, at, in the workplace as well. And we don't believe that that person, you being that person is going to make you ineffective. We actually believe it's going to make you even more effective if we when get we to honor see that person. who you are, right? So by, by naming those core values, and I give those examples of what core values sound like in a statement, so that way they give more clarity rather than saying authenticity. I'm saying we, we, we value who you are and we don't, we believe it's exhausting to be two people during the day. Like being clear on those values, now we bake that into our interview process and I can articulate that. I can name what excellence looks like. I can center my questions. I don't want to tell me about yourself. I want to tell me about a time in which you had a bar of excellence that you felt pressured to compromise, but you stood your ground. Like, I want to know about that, right? Because how you interview the questions that you ask not only give you insight into the person, but it gives the person what, insight into what you value, what's important to you. So that's the first thing that I would say is at the very beginning, that interview process. And then the second piece is, is culture. And I know that seems a little cliche, but when I say culture, I have to recognize that what I do and do not do influences culture. And it's not only my responsibility as a CEO to create culture, it's also my responsibility to protect it. So my team knows, well, it, take, it, it takes them a while. <laughs> like once, once they get on board, they're like, well, am I doing okay? I'm like, trust me, if you were not- You would know. You would know. You would know. You would know because I am very clear and direct when the expectation has not been met I believe in honesty yeah. and honesty, not just for me, but also for you. Like you Correct. deserve to know what's in my head. And also I owe it to myself to be honest with you because I don't want to be resentful. I don't want to be holding something in and all of a sudden when you do it again and I ain't told you now I'm feeling no. some kind of way. Now my whole day messed up. <laughs> like, I don't want that. I don't mm. want that. And so I think, I think both of those things of how you interview the the culture that you build, but also understanding your role as a CEO and the culture of it's your responsibility to build it, but also to protect it. So I think part of the ownership that my folks have comes from, they've seen what my ownership looks like when I'm executing on it, but also I'm holding them accountable to like, okay, you saw this thing and you were trying to figure out how to tell me. Mm. Okay. Let's talk about that. Right. <laughs> like, how you tell me is you tell me. <laughs> like, Correct. Like, like the the I understand the emotions that you were feeling, but here's what you were, here's what your unstated value was, 
when you were contemplating whether or not to tell me, you were valuing my emotions over the success of our company. Mm. And I'm a big girl. Even if I'm going to feel some kind of way, my value is the success of our company because of what it means for you and what it means for our clients. So tell me. Right. So having those types of conversations, I think it helps just reinforce for our folks what matters and the role that they play in it. Girl, you are dropping gems right now. I want to be clear on where this conversation is transitioning because this is really in-depth what I wanted to talk to you about. And it is the scary, for me, non-strategic journey of being a CEO because I feel like everything I learn about being a CEO is the hard way. Like I knew I was growing immensely as a CEO when years ago it was just like, anyone that seemed like an ideal client, money, 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 to then like now my biggest, most important value is protecting my team at all costs. Mm -hmm. Like the minute mm -hmm. a potential mm -hmm. client starts talking and I'm like, this sounds like a headache for my team, it's immediately a no. Mm -hmm. Even though it once sounded like an opportunity, it is now immediately a no because it's going to put my team in a full spin out. And my number one priority is to protect my team because we do not have a business or a company without right. a team. Right. And so these these little nuances of what I've learned, like first class recovery and just like protecting my team and protecting the individuals and inserting this culture and that everything and every choice and what you just said matters for the culture. Because even knowing down to the wire of like, I've even been in situations where I know I've like, I've taken on a client and it shook my team up. And then I'm reviewing another client with, you know, my leadership, the, the leadership, the managers on my team. And we instantly both know in the conversation, this is going to put the team in another spin out. And it's going against what you said, which is that we'll never have to do this again. And now if you do this, expect the ball to roll down the hill and the, the, the culture, the excitement, like the, mm -hmm. just expect it all to be a rolling ball down the hill because you are no, now going against what you said that you were going to do for this company and this team. Mm -hmm. And like to have to keep your word at that level for so many people that you are managing. Listen, I don't know about, I was not prepared for this. So I was like, <laughs> these choices, like I know how to make money, but to, to have to filter through choices that fit for every individual on my team, that was a whole different ball game mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. And so one of my biggest questions for you and you and I talk about this at length all the time is the unspoken about game of getting and meeting the outcomes, whether it be dollar amounts, number of clients, corporate companies we're working with, you know, number revenue, whatever that thing is meeting those things meeting those milestones, thinking it is supposed to be a dance across the finish line. Yet why is everything falling apart in other spaces, whether it be our systems, whether it be the team members, whether it be uh, the sales funnel, whatever it is, why are, does it almost seem and when the day comes and it doesn't happen, because I'm not saying it has to, I hope it doesn't have to. But why does it seem like simultaneously we are meeting milestones and winning and everything is falling apart? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, here's the analogy that I have told myself to help me manage <laughs> this. Please, so that I can sit and meditate <laughs> this is the analogy. 
So as an educator, I'm like, I feel like I am building and opening a school. And it's a K-8 school and it's a new school. And every year we add on a grade level. And so we first started with kindergarten. And then the next year we built first grade. And the next year we built second grade. And the whole school is not fully functioning until we get to eighth grade because every year there's a new grade level, right? And so that's the the piece that I keep naming to myself because I'm like, man, like we've accomplished so many great things as a business. And then when something breaks and it feels like a big thing just broke, I have to remind myself, like, okay, we're in like fourth grade right now. <laughs> like, like, and this is our first year of fourth grade. We got we got K through three. Solid. Right. Solid. Solid. But this is the first year of fourth grade, which brings new things, which brings new emotions. New curriculum. New curriculum. New, yep. All those things. And so I think that's that's the story that I keep telling myself is that, you know, and I think this is the nuance of building a business is that the, the infancy stage... You can be a seven-figure business and still be an infancy. And I think people equate revenue to the maturity of their business, and they're not always an equal correlation. Now you're talking some shit. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) You mean to tell me that on Beyonce's internet, all these folks talking about seven figures, seven figures, seven figures, and you can still be in the infancy stages, which to me means you have not created any sustainability. Listen, if I hear... Let me tell you a moment where I was, I was, cause I, I was like kind of blown away and it took me a while to like realize that this is what happens because mind you, I'm coming from being a principal, right? right? Where we could not function if we didn't have systems. I was a middle school principal with Correct. a thousand kids, 115 staff members. Breakfast would be chaotic. Right. If we ain't got systems. Right. So like that is my default. That's what I'm thinking through. And to be in conversations, I remember one conversation I had with a seven-figure business owner, and like I was telling them something I was working through, they were like, oh, just hire a VA. And I was like, okay. And I remember having a conversation with someone else, and they were like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we just have a couple of VAs on our team, and it's me and this, you know, this other person, and I do this with, and I'm like, y'all got no employees? I was like, do you even have a full-time executive assistant? I'm like, so we're running whole million dollar businesses and there is nobody who is on in gusto on payroll. <laughs> like we just paying a bunch of PayPal invoices. Like that to me was like so mind blowing. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think that's a part of the conversation that I'm realizing is that for a lot of the public narrative and conversation around running businesses, overly focuses on revenue, which I'm not saying is not important because it is. It is. It is important. And it actually doesn't talk about the back end of what's underneath that in order to create a sustainable business of team, of operations, of management, of leadership for a lot of seven-figure business owners realizing the first time they've managed people's in their business. And so like that's a whole nother level of learning. And so Like those are, I think the important conversations that we need to have more of is like, what does it look like to build team? What does it look like to build systems that you cannot preach generational wealth and you not giving anybody a job? (laughs) Like like you can't be out here preaching generational wealth and don't nobody on your team got benefits because of your company. Oh my God. Like that's, that's, that's 
incongruent. Right. It's incongruent. I have so many things. This is the this is the conversation that you and I were just having when you came in, which was about like, what was it? Building a gate versus building a door? Is that what it was? Building a wall versus building a fence. Okay. Because fences have gates. Got it. This yields to what is going on on the front end versus the back end. Mm. And I think on the internet, we are sold such a divine, beautiful outcome, that revenue, that Stripe account, that whatever that is. And realizing when you and I are talking about things breaking, it is the constant back end so that the front end can run smoothly so that the client experience can be smooth. It is so that we can, uh, have a sales funnel that works smoothly. Mm-hmm. It is that, so our team is communicating on one accord in the same way versus having to be told and said things four or five different times on four or five different individuals. This is all back end stuff that people do not see when it comes to that highlight of success. So I'm going to open the floor to you on this wall versus a fence, because I have also built systems, um, I have also been in the process one too many times of building systems in my business and it feeling way more messy to do it almost unnecessarily to the point where I'm like, I could just keep doing this the way that I was Mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. This is taking way too long Mm -hmm. for me to build the system that you are telling me or selling me that is going to make my business better. And I think that is the back end or the breaking of the next level. It's the equivalent of you decide you're going to redecorate your closet and you tear everything up and you throw it on the bed and then you're like, I got shit to do today. Why the hell did I do this? Like, this is going to take way more time than I would have liked it to take. What is, what is the thing that I think business owners need to understand when transitioning to like six Mm. to seven and seven to eight, Mm. the back end versus the front end? I think people need to understand that who you are as a six figure business cannot be the same person of who you are as a seven-figure business owner and cannot be the same person who you are as an eight-figure business owner. I think I think we have to understand, and this was even a piece that I had to go through and still kind of going through it a little bit of like, but I'm still the same person. It's like, no, Erica, you're not. No. <laughs> like, you're not. No. And I think part of it is also understanding too is the business is also not the same at six figures and it's not the same at seven figures. And so part of what we're still going through is, I mean, I've had my business for six years, but I've been full-time in my business for two years. And I also had a six-month sabbatical in that two years because I just needed to heal and release some things. But in that that process, when we crossed the seven-figure mark, we crossed the seven-figure mark with systems that my team and I had built when we were at a quarter and a half a million dollars. Right. And so those systems could not hold the capacity to move and go forward to where now, even though we've crossed the seven figure mark, one of my priorities for this year, my strategic plan is building eight figure operational capacity. Mm. And that's the the reflective question that I ask myself and I always ask my team when they're like, should I do this? Could we do that if our business was at eight figures? Could we do that if our client base was triple what we currently are serving? Would it work? And if the answer is no, then we need to do with whatever the answer would be yes. Because if, if it could work now, but as we continue to grow, and I believe the impact that we have is too great to stay small, we have to build from where we want to go. And that means that it's, it's, we're going to have to slow down to speed up. 
So like even just last week, we had to completely rebuild a whole entire funnel and switch the software that we were using for our checkout pages. Because where we are now in our business is our, our the majority, in order for us to continue to grow, we have to be bringing in more cold traffic, mm. which is a completely different sales strategy. It's Correct. a completely different Correct. marketing strategy. Yep. All of our previous marketing and sales systems were built based off of warm traffic. Right. Which means we don't need as many touch points, which right. means we don't need as many one-click upsells. Correct. Which means we don't need many tripwires. Right. And now we're at a place where we have to be more sophisticated in our strategy in order to continue to grow because I don't want to stay small. I don't want to be the best kept secret. Like I want everybody to know who we are and our impact. And I think to your point of front end versus back end of now that we're being intentional about our visibility, now that I'm being intentional of getting in front of strangers, that means I also need to build legal structures. Oh my God. <laughs> that means that I need more legal protections in all the small and big ways. Let me tell you, I file a trademark about once a month, <laughs> right? <laughs> and if they're you, taking like 10 months right now. <laughs> if you see something, no, I already got a trademark for it. Before I even put it out in the world, a trademark. I had to put my attorney on retainer. And a year ago, I took her off retainer because I was like, we don't, we're not, we, using, we're not using her. And now- I'm doing nothing but using I'm her. Doing nothing but using her, right? All of the small and big legal structures and trying to anticipate it as much as possible. But guess, guess, guess how you find out you need a legal structure? When it's too late. When somebody- F around and find out, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that's how you, oh, oh I now damn. need a legal disclaimer at the beginning of each one of my virtual workshops because yes. someone tried to F around and they found out, right? And so that's that's the back end part of it is when you see these legal structures, it's either somebody told me out of wisdom or I had a situation where I had to protect me and my company. And now as a result, we have this new legal structure. So the key point here, and I think that we have to accept because each of us at our core, I think we, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our most foundational need is belonging, is, is relationships, it's being loved. And it is hard for us to envision us no longer belonging. And the reality is, is as you are growing a business, there will be spaces where you will no longer belong. You better cut it out. <laughs> I just got the damn chill. Girl, and I'm preaching to myself, okay? <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. So we are working, oh, so we are working against our needs to belong when reaching for success. So I'm listening to you and I'm like, this sounds like two identity crisis. Girl, yes. Like you, your business is in a constant identity crisis, especially if you have momentum and you're growing. You're, you, you personally are constantly in identity crisis. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh my God, I feel this so deeply because there have been so many times where I am, my business is making the most money it's ever made. I'm the loneliest I've ever been. I am, I have the least amount of people surrounding me and around me. And oftentimes it's not... I don't want it to be looked upon so negatively when I say identity crisis, but there's so many times where I'm like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Because mm. the things that were not that were important to me at my core are no longer important to me. And I have to sit back sometimes and I'm like, is this where wealthy people get lost? Or is this where I have to be, ex you just have this exceptional presence in my thoughts and my thought leadership and my, you know, the war going on in our head and take equity and responsibility for the thoughts in my head. 
because I am evolving so fast. My lessons are on 10 speed, like more so than the average. Mm-hmm. And just to, like to hear that your, your business and you, you personally are constantly in an identity crisis and where you are going, we talk about it's all over the internet. People are talking about how you can't take the people with you and you, you know, people that don't understand are haters and they, this, that, and the third, but you almost don't have space for the old you anymore for where you're going bump other people. Right. You're pruning yourself. Right. Constantly. Right. Constantly. And you and I have talked about the pruning process of like, this is all in well, the old me will not work in the new place that I am going. The old ways in which my business got here, what got me here will not get me there. But what are the things that you've had to like really sit with and prune to be like that? And to me, it's everything from dumb shit to like extreme. And the only thing that I've noticed is the shift required is less extreme in my mind. Like it's almost Mm. like my failure recovery is just like, I'm like the shit that used to scare me doesn't scare me anymore. Mm -hmm. And the, the problems just keep getting bigger and bigger, but there's never really a place of like, where it stops. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks when you meet this certain dollar amount, this certain milestone or this certain number of people on your team that you somehow will have crossed this, this, uh, finish line of, um, comfortability or just effortlessness. And I have yet to see it. I think I have just expanded my ability to deal. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that came with a lot of pruning and a lot of who are you in this new season? And so what do you feel like were some of the major things that you had to prune as you've transitioned so many. And I think, I think one of them is not taking things personal, which I, I feel like I was kind of doing before, but it's like, now I'm having a new experience Mm. of what feels personal. Yeah. So, cause I've always been one of those where I'm like, listen, that ain't about me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like that your projections thing. are not about me. Right. Right. But, and I think, I think though, when I say don't take things personal, I think at this stage I'm dealing with different projections that people are throwing mm. that, and some of them feel more personal because they're people I have personal relationships with. Right. So for example, you know, I, a part of my brand is publicly talking about money because I'm an educator, I serve educators. And so part of of me helping my audience know that something is possible is sharing my own story and sharing the stories of other people and also calling out the ways in which dysfunctional money mindsets that are common in education are actually holding us back Mm -hmm. from our next level. So this belief that we didn't get into it for the money Mm-hmm. Right. Like that to me is so incredibly offensive and it's oppressive where it's like to tell people who are on the front lines of some of, I believe, the most patriotic work in this country of serving our kids that they didn't get into it for the money to me feels manipulative. Like it's continuing to to support the fact that you're underpaying them. Right. And so I talk pretty publicly about money and what has happened more frequently to me in the past year than ever before is it activates other people's money beliefs that not everybody has the tools to be able to say, this is my issue. And so how it comes out is I'm an issue. Right. (laughs) And so where it's, well, I can't believe you charge X, Y, and Z. Why wouldn't you just give it away for free? 
why wouldn't you give scholarships and then make somebody your testimonial? Like someone said that in one of my comments. Then I wouldn't have a business you trust. <laughs> and my first thought was, okay, first off, do we say that to white men? Mm. My second thought was, you're telling me to give something away for free because you give things away for free. Correct. And then thirdly, you're assuming I need testimonials as if I don't have them. Ooh. Right? And so- <laughs> But but all of all of what's underneath that was someone's own relationship with money, right? right? Of and and a part of my beliefs is people are invested in what they invest in, which is why I don't give things away for free. And you should not. Right. And, and I won't. You never should. And I model for my clients how they should be modeling in their business. I don't do free. And so I think that's a part of this pruning that I had to do in this stage, you know, because I've even had you know, people who have had personal relationships for a really long time who are wondering if I'm different, right? I've never been more the problem in this season. I am always <laughs> the problem. I'm like, damn, I didn't know I had all these problems. <laughs> or, or people who are just like, you know, I I, I had recently um, uh, met up with a friend and it's just like small little things yeah. where, you know, I'm in their car and they're like, I know this is really simple for you. And I'm like... <laughs> I don't have my expectations like, have not changed. I was like, I'm we it's gonna get us to where we go, right? Right. But but again, like that was that has nothing to do with me and everything to, to do, do with, with the you. person yes. of what they might you have thought feel. or perceived that I would have been thinking about their vehicle. And it's like, I don't care. I'm trying to get to dinner. I'm right? going to the same place you're going. Right. And right. so it's just it's just things like that where I think if I wasn't clear in in who I am, I think it would cause me to be off balance. Um, but I'm grateful that I've done a lot of work to be able to know what is mine to pick up and what isn't. And a lot of the projections in this phase have to deal with money. And a lot of those aren't mine to pick up. A lot of those aren't mine to pick up. Because if we did pick them up, we would set ourselves off balance from the work and the mission that we are on. Right. Because there has been so many things that I wanted to pick up and I wanted to go to the old me and I wanted to wave the green flag and be like, I'm not really like this. I don't really do this. I'm not really this person that you think I am. And then it was like, no, take a step back. For where you're going, proving yourself in those spaces does not even matter anymore. Right. Stop. Right. Have a seat. Right. <laughs> so I have two more questions. When you talked about pruning, that was so much so, which is very important around people around you. And I have had to do that. And I feel you so deeply on that season. But there was even more pruning for the way in which I saw the world hmm. and the things that I had to uncover. And I think you said that in the work. What were some of the things about yourself that you had to be like, Erica, this version of you is not going to get you there. Mm -hmm. What were, if there were like two main things that you've really had to pull back on that could not get you where you were going? So it is receiving help. <laughs> Hello. But I can do it better. I can do it better. <laughs> it's receiving help. And I think this conversation we were having before of like walls versus fences, which I had had 
we had had a conversation about where I was listening to a sermon and it was talking about the difference between building walls and versus building fences because fences have gates. So like, yeah, everybody can't get in, but there should be to have a wall where nobody can get in, where everybody's blocked off versus having a fence that has some selective criteria. And there's a gate where people can come in and out like, like, the goal is to build a fence versus to build a wall. Mm -hmm. And one of my walls that I am transitioning into a fence <laughs> is like, I, I, I have healthy trust issues, right? Like a, I have healthy trust issues because I'm a black woman in America. Um, but also like, I just have healthy trust issues because of the experiences that I've had in my childhood growing up being a professional. I was a principal at 28. Oh my God. And so to imagine all the ways in which, you know, things have experiences that I've had, things that felt like they were done to me or done against me. Like my coping strategy has been to build walls. And now I'm in a season as a CEO where my priority and the priority of my team is to reduce the number of decisions that I make in a day. Because there are so many decisions now that have to be made. And I am decision fatigued. And decision fatigue and the reality is, is I don't need to make every decision. Correct. Which means. I in fact want to trust you to make decisions on my behalf. On our percent, A hundred percent. Which means my wall needs to become a gate so that way somebody can come behind the fence right. to be able to see what I see, experience what I experience and make the decision on my behalf. So for example, Within the past two weeks, my EA has taken over my email. And when I tell you, I had. I can see in your physical body. I was like, I had a out. little of anxiety. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, she is taking over my email. And I also told her I needed to do it because I was getting inundated right. with information. The number of contracts I got, I received the number of invoices we have to, I was like, it's so much. Right. I need somebody to be the first responder to go through everything and then pick out what do I need to absolutely look at. And when I tell you the first day she did that, I had so much idle time that I realized I typically use to check email that I was like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I'm not checking my email, but it required me to trust her. Right. That means that she would be the first one to see something from my attorney. She would be the first one to see when payroll was processed. She would be the first one to see the invoice of how much we're paying somebody. And I have to be OK with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to pruning in this season, for me, it's a matter of pruning the walls that have have prevented other people from helping me. When I stop traveling as much as I'm traveling right now, she's going to order my meals. Mm which I was judging myself for the longest of not being able to order my meals. But the reality is, is I can't keep up with the Saturday deadline. Please, please talk about this for a minute. So some, we, we talk about $10 tasks right here. Listen, we're talking about $10 tasks. And I was like, I don't need to decide anymore if I'm having baked chicken breasts or a, like <laughs> Italian meat. I don't need to decide that anymore. Let someone choose it for me. And I mean that, and it's, it's, I feel a little weird saying it now, but like at the time in which it happened, I had so much self-judgment of why can't I order my meals? Why do I keep missing this? This feels like such a simple, basic task and I can't do it and I keep missing it. Why? What, what, what is happening? Right. And I had to get to a point to realize 
When I'm saying no to something, I'm saying yes to something else. So what were the things that I'm saying yes to? I'm saying yes to making money so I can pay my people. I'm saying yes to showing up to my clients. I'm saying yes to sleep, right? And like being really clear on what the yeses are and being affirmed that the yeses are good, solid yeses, that it's okay that I say no to ordering my meals. And it's okay for my EA to be the one who is clicking baked chicken breasts rather than me. Like that is totally okay. So that has been the biggest part of this pruning process is allowing help and not judging myself for needing help as someone who is very high performing, very overachieving. The reality is going back to our earlier conversation, I'm not the same person. And this person in this stage needs more help with the things that have to be done. But the reality is, is they don't make me any money. When you painted that picture for me before, and my best friend often poses this very simple question to me, like, I'll be like, when she can tell when I'm overwhelmed, she's like, give me the to-do list. What is the to-do list? And I give it to her and she's like, 80% of this, someone else could do. Right. Or she'll ask me the question of, can someone else do that? And I'm like, yeah, 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 but I can do it. No, no, no. Can someone else do that? And I'm like, yeah, but I can do it really quick in 15 minutes. She's like, I am aware but can someone else right. does it, even if it takes them an hour? Can someone else do it? Because if I can shift back you an hour, because your time is already limited with a child and being a single mom, like if I can shift back an hour to you, and you have also proposed this to me, if I can shift back an hour of you, you're spending an hour ordering your meals, or you're spending an hour paying staff, or you're spending an hour or 15 minutes writing this script and I can give you back an hour to write a $30,000 contract. Are you going to spend an hour spending $150 to, to pay someone to feed you? Or are you going to spend an hour writing a $30,000 mm -hmm. contract so that you can pay for all 10 of your staff mm -hmm. to feed their families? Mm -hmm. Where are we going to allocate this time? Mm -hmm. And transitioning from that, I can do all things, to can someone else do this, even if it's not better or faster than I would like it to be mm -hmm. and relinquishing that control. Mm -hmm. That shit has been a journey. Listen, and <laughs> I think the nuance that we've talked about before is the unique nuance as women mm -hmm. and the societal mm -hmm. expectations of what we should and should not do. I don't think men be judging themselves for not being able to do laundry. I don't that, think men... That, that, that shit piling up. I've been hustling. Listen, <laughs> men don't be out here judging themselves because they they haven't been able to cook for the week. You know what I mean? Where it's like... I think we come that's home awesome. stressed, judging the hell out of our... My house is a mess. I'm not feeding my child appropriately. Like he's ate French fries twice this week. Like I'm stressed. Shaming the shit out of myself. Nobody else. It's all self-inflicted. Right. Right. Self-inflicted. Right. And that's a part of this unlearning journey, right? Where it's like the version of us that early stage of the business, we could do all those things. Yeah. Right. I could and, do both. And now where we are, and, and I think, and this is a reframing that I tell myself, my big, my business is bigger than me. Mm. So to think that I can, me as one person, be able to handle all the things that come with my business, plus my life, like something has, I have to renegotiate something and being okay with other people helping me and doing that. Let them help you. I'm telling Listen. you the difference between six and seven figures and seven figures and beyond has been a plus team members and letting people help you. Listen, and check my email. Please <laughs> check, check my email. Order my meals. Listen. Call for me a ride. Listen. Come clean my house. Like 
I cannot do I deserve, it. I deserve. As soon as you walked in, I was like, I'm sorry about the dishes. <laughs> and I'm like, girl, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. So I think I'm worried. Meanwhile, I'm like, what's this Slack channel saying? I'm not thinking. About Are that. all seven of my team members okay? <laughs> so I want to end with this um, because you have um, lightly mentioned something that I think is so important. You took a sabbatical Mm -hmm. because I say this all the time on the show. Entrepreneurship is disguised as the greatest self-development journey you will ever go on. You want to run a business. Somebody is going to constantly be putting a mirror in your face all day long. You are constantly faced with who you are, how you operate, what you believe in. Like there's no hiding from your shit inside entrepreneurship and business ownership. So I think your emotional health and well-being is literally something that you cannot avoid because it will bleed into everything that you do mm-hmm. and you will know it. You will begin to hate who you are, hate how you make decisions, wonder how you got where you are. like, And it, and then you will go to point the finger at someone else and realize that you are the queen of self-sabotage. Mm. So can you lightly just hit on what you knew you had to take a sabbatical for and why it was imperative to slow down to speed up to your, the next level of your, your, Mm -hmm. uh, business. Yeah. So I took a sabbatical right after I graduated from my doctoral program. Mm -hmm. So before I went to my doctoral program, I was a principal. And so I'm leaving from being in this level of leadership. What we often don't talk about too. And I think this exists in many professions, but how much when you are in a position of power and influence and impact, how much your identity becomes intertwined with your work. So I had to, that was a whole nother level of unpacking and redefining. And then I go into graduate school. I'm going to get my doctorate at Harvard. I'm in the place that has the the largest endowment in the country after coming from leading a school where I had to ration Chick-fil-A for parent night, (laughs) right? And so like that was a disorientation. Then the pandemic hits and I have a residency because my doctoral program was practice-based. So the last year we're working for an organization as we're writing our dissertation. So I am writing and building my company during a pandemic. Oh my gosh. And my supervisor was quite misogynistic Mm. and told me I was resistant to feedback, which I'm like, I've heard that before. (laughs) Is it me or is it you? And there's, and there's, there's a, a trend and pattern and who says that. Right, right. And if anything, it gives me clarity pretty quickly of who you are. But it's like to have all those things compounded within that chapter of my life, by the time I got to graduation, I was like, I need to heal. Like I need to rest. I need to reset. I just need to be still. I just need to sleep. I need to lay it down. Because there was actually a, a chapter of when I was writing my dissertation, mind you, it's the middle of a pandemic. We're all quarantined. I would go to the double tree that was on the other side of the bridge from my apartment to write to get out of a little 500 square foot apartment. I'm doing my residency Monday through Thursday. I'm writing a dissertation in a hotel Thursday and Friday. I'm working on my business Sunday. I'm literally doing that for like four to five months, a season of sacrifice. And I was like, I need time to heal. Yes. And so as soon as I I graduated, I had already put the building blocks in place with an HR consultant to hire me a full-time executive assistant. So that way I had a full-time person plus my my online business manager. 
And I took six months to be a digital nomad. So I was living out of a suitcase for six months, going wherever the next hotel deal was. Wow. (laughs) Literally, it was the complete opposite of the life that I was living before. And I was like, I just need this right now. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I took a sabbatical in 2021 for six months. And in 2022 is when we crossed the seven-figure mark. I don't think that's a coincidence because rest (sighs) equals revenue. Say that again. (laughs) Rest (laughs) equals revenue. But that is counterintuitive to what we are taught is that if I slow down, the money will dissipate. If I slow down, I will not be hustling. If I slow down, if I rest, I will lose clients. I will lose money. I will lose opportunities. I will lose my network. If I like, I'm, I'm screaming inside right now because I know this fight I have internally constantly that is like, I... I told my videographer this morning, I said, I am tired. Mm-hmm. I will go up this morning like, this definitely is got to be the symptoms of burnout. Like mm-hmm. I am there, but rest doesn't feel appropriate right now. Mm-hmm. So to say rest equals revenue, how do you know that? I know that because I had a colleague years ago who told me the mind is like water. When it's calm, it becomes clear. And... The only way my mind is clear is when I have thoroughly rested, which is probably why I get massages almost like every other week. Amen. (laughs) I seriously get the most clarity and the best business strategy and decisions while I'm taking a massage because my mind is so calm. And I think that's what, that's the result of rest, right? It's, it's a level of, of, clarity. It's a level of stillness. It's a level of direction. And I don't think sustainability comes from like being all over the place and almost like a pinball machine where you go this way and then you go that way and you go this way. And I don't think it's a sustainability. And that's why I want to separate sustainability versus revenue. Like you can, you can have cash injections, you can have spurts of revenue, but we're talking about building a sustainable, healthy, profitable business that you can take a vacation from. You have to be rested and have to be clear. And I I tell myself that I much rather take off time and get to a hundred percent rather than continuously running at 50%. So if the time, a week off, two weeks off, is going to get me back to 100%, I'd much rather choose that rather than continuing to run at 50 and 60%. Even though my 56% is still damn good. But just imagine what better my 100% half, is like. Half right? of y'all, better than half of y'all's 100%. <laughs> you are screaming at me right now. I keep closing my eyes. Literally, this is what I just saw in my head. I, I run my business off the profit first model. Mm-hmm. So you can make mm-hmm. all the accounts. Yep. My mind, literally, as you were talking, I was like, yep. Jessica, make a sabbatical account. Mm. Make a sabbatical account. Like, mm. because every time it comes for that time for you to take off, you're like, oh, well, you don't really, I don't really want to put us, I don't really want to spend that much money on a week-long vacation or blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. Right. But I'm like, oh, no, not right now. Like, right. I'm like, Jessica, create it. Make a sabbatical account. So you know what we did this year, and this goes back to the equitable company um, piece we were talking about. So this year I put in a company-wide spring break. Oh, I love this. Maybe it's because I'm an educator, but I was like, we need a spring break where we're all off. off. Not one person. Yeah, because I do a three days every quarter per staff. Three paid days per quarter per staff. 
Oh, that's so I'm like, good. who's taking this quarter off? Who's taking this quarter off? And I do it. It's literally a Wednesday. Th- you get Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you get a weekend. So you get five mm. days off. And so I'm like, who's taking it? It's paid. It's one person per, per quarter. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's good. Because we just rotate it. Because I'm like, we're exhausted. Like, especially what we do, which is like, we turn the same deliverables week by week. So I'm like, I'm, when I realized we were producing 60 to 75 episodes a month, I was like, I know y'all tired. Yeah. We tired. Yeah. We need and the cheat code behind the company spring break that I didn't realize until somebody else said it is as a CEO, when we're off, but our team isn't off, it creates too much temptation. Yes. <laughs> and so if we all off. Yes then it actually allows me, I have no temptation <laughs> because we all off. Yeah. So I cannot nobody be for me nobody to call, to nobody call, for me to no say, opinion. hey, this real quick, I was in bed and this came up and I thought about this. It's all shut down. All We are all shut down. And so it is my commitment that every year we have a company-wide spring break. Um, we also have a winter break too, but that has, being able to create those cheat codes of like, Everybody is off. This is all culture. Yes. This is all culture. I re- I realized this when um, I I watched the, um, I don't know where the series was, but Brene Brown explained what the word envy meant. Mm. And I, when I listened to it, I was like, I listened to it and I knew I needed to hear it. And for some reason, God wanted me to hear it. And then for spring, uh, for winter break, I let the team off, but I decided to give my project manager an extra week and an extra two weeks. And shit hit the fan. And I had to step in. I did not take off. I was like, I'll cover everyone's ass. I got this. And shit hit the fan. And I, for two weeks after that, was so mad. And I couldn't figure out who I was mad at or what I was so anxious about. And I went for a walk one day. And I wanted, like, I, I let the thoughts roll. Like, you, I don't know if you do this, but I have to, like, get outside. And I'm like, let all the, the crap out. Like, mm-hmm. all the things that you're thinking that this person is wrong and this and this and this. And just let it all out and, like, throw it on a table and sort it out. And I let it all out. And I was like, no, what you, where you are right now is that you envy that you gave your project manager the vacation you wish you would have gave mm. yourself. So give that to everyone. You gave someone the rest you wish you would have given yourself. So now you have to. If this is what you needed, then this is what your team needed. So you now need to integrate this into your yearly plan. Mm -hmm. Because if you felt like this, you better believe your team feels like this. Mm -hmm. So like you said, the spring break, the the monthly time off, the quarterly paid time off, like you can also request time off, but you have to obviously plan accordingly for your space, your responsibilities and all the things, but also the the winter break, like this shit is critical. And these are the things that I was not taught in school. There was no leadership development on any level that I have been able to captivate off of learning these things the hard way and constantly having honest conversations with myself and my mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of this new level is you have to plan your vacation. <laughs> Mine is now. Like a year in advance. <laughs> like, uh, like you plan your time off a year in advance. My project manager was just here and this is, this is because we'll, and we'll wrap because obviously you and I could go on forever, but this is the equity part where we talked about your team being invested. My project manager was just here and we were building out the calendar for the year. And she looked at my best, my business partner and looked at me and she was like, stop. I don't like where this is going. And I was like, why? Like we were planning other people's shows and like, oh, we can start taking clients again. It was all this plan. She was like, stop. When is your son out of school? Mm. And I was like, I don't even ask myself that. And she was like, no, because I just remember so many times you writing and saying, hey, it's Sunday and I'm on a plane. 
I didn't realize Cameron is off on Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. We're not doing that this year. And I was like, and literally my best friend was like, okay. And pulled up like the school board schedule. And my project manager sat there for the entire 2024 and mapped out every time my son is out of school and was like, you do not work during these times. That's a good ass project manager. And I was like, yo, I don't even do this for myself. Like I was like, this, this is equity. This mm -hmm. is, this is team leadership. This is culture because you're now fending for my time and my son's time. Mm -hmm. Like, and th those are the moments where I'm like proud, where I'm like, what the fuck did I build? This is good. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> and it makes you so proud to slow down to speed yeah. up. To slow down to speed up because now I'm building something with a foundation. Now I'm building something that matters. I'm building somewhere where people like to work. Mm -hmm. I'm building so I'm building a place where people care. Mm -hmm. And to sit across from team members that say, I'm with you, even no matter how crazy this shit gets, that stuff. I'm like, bump all that other stuff on the internet. Y'all not building this. Y'all yeah. not doing this. Y'all yeah. <laughs> not doing this. Mm -hmm. So one day I hope you 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 coach all of us on something to scaling and burnout. But until then, <laughs> I receive. <laughs> until then, can you tell my audience where they can learn more about you, where they can stalk you, what you're doing next, and what they can expect from you? Because you were incredible. Thank you for this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. This conversation was what I needed to. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most at E underscore Jordan Thomas, E as in Erica underscore Jordan Thomas, and visit our website at getlaunchconsulting.com. I would love to connect with you. So you can visit it, visit us at either one of those places. And we have a three-day live event that happens every year. Six Figure Educator Live. If you go to sixfigureeducator.com for any black educator ready to grow their six their education consulting business to seven figures, we would love to have you. Oh, and by the way, Seven Figure Educator Podcast dropping soon. Hey. Hey. You guys, Dr. Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas on Rich in Real Life. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for this conversation, this authentic conversation around leadership culture, building a team that matters, building something that you care about and slowing down to speed up. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all, that is another episode of Rich in Real Life. If this episode filled you the way it filled me, tag me while you are listening at Jessica Hurley underscore so I can say hello, share this with a friend or someone in your network who you know is in need. And please don't forget to write a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening platform because it helps us continue to spread the message. And if you want more from me, Rich in Real Life, or any of the other conscious creators that we work with inside Epic Media Network, head over to epic.co for more. Until then, I will catch y'all next week on another episode of Rich in Real Life.